0: G'day and welcome to the 2022 season of AGM Watch, brought to you by the Australian Shareholders Association. Each year we monitor the performance of most of Australia's top 200 companies, protecting the rights of retail shareholders with a dedicated team of volunteer company monitors. Fiona Belzer is the Policy and Advocacy Manager at the ASA. Hi, Fiona. Hi, Phil. Welcome back for another season.
1: Glad to be here, kicking off the season.
0: So this year we're focused, among many other companies, but on this particular episode, we're going to be talking, and this is the prequel episode, we're talking now leading into the season, even though there have been a couple of companies that have had their AGMs so far already, uh, Telstra particularly, but um, we're going to be focusing on ASX, The Star and AGL. ASA has helped to achieve a first strike on the remuneration report for ASX. Tell us a story about that and what the implications are.
1: Okay, thanks, Phil. Uh, The... ASX has had its first strike and while there are many companies that have strikes on their remuneration report, there are a lot of companies that were proud of having no strike and I believe ASX is disappointed with attaining that first strike. We felt that the way that the remuneration was being given wasn't in keeping with our guidelines which are basically remuneration should get you to the culture and the outcomes that you expect. It should be designed to encourage long-term thinking, set up alignment with shareholders in terms of a company that does well has to do well for all its stakeholders. It has to run its business well, but shareholders benefit from that. And we felt that it was not so clear on how the short-term incentives were laid out. They're the ones that, apply for the first year and that it needed more focus on the long term plus the exiting CEO has left when the project that the ASX is running to replace their chess system which is their clearinghouse electronic sub-register system. Which yes, is their- they're still
0: paper-based, as everyone <laughs> knows.
1: <laughs> which, yes, it's still paper-based. With the replacement of that system, the project has missed all its timelines and at the moment we're all waiting to see when when the replacement system will come in. It was launched with great fanfare. It was going to be using a distributed ledger technology, which is a bit like blockchain, Mm -hmm. um, but not blockchain. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a first in the, the world at the start, and it should have been coming online now, but there's been deferrals. And at the moment, there's been another delay and we are waiting to see when it will happen. But the ASX announced it wouldn't be before late 2024. So there's still a lot of that project to, to continue. With the change of the CEO, we felt that there was a bit much termination pay, even though it was all under the existing contracts. So that first strike came about. With the first strike, the company, especially one that cares about its reputation, as ASX does, has to go back back to ensure that it's laid out its remuneration framework to help the culture, to help with implementation of projects on time and in an orderly fashion. So we're expecting the company, they have actually engaged already and improved things for the new CEO, but we're expecting them to really double check that so that next year they don't get a second strike, which then follows with a potential to spill the board. But their board has substantially changed, so it would be very disappointing if next year they were in a position that we would, say, vote against the directors as well as the remuneration report. So expecting the change. and
0: you, You'd expect, though, that the company that's actually running the stock exchange in Australia would really want to set themselves up as being a, um, a as a, a paragon of virtue in running the actual system, wouldn't you?
1: Short answer, yes. Mm. Uh, Infrastructure, though, is very tricky. Yeah. Especially, you know, with all our competition laws and the like, a third-party infrastructure, so people are able to access it. But, yes, I think that that should have been the primary goal, would be to maintain the chess system so that it could function, the settlements could function to a high level and have an orderly, perhaps less exciting project um, that was implemented on time. Because it does have ramifications for all the other players in the market, they have to be able to interact with the system. So their software teams have been busy getting ready for what is now as a delayed Project And you mentioned the electronic chess statements. At ASA, we get lots of people phone up and say, how do I get rid of these uh, notices that I get after I buy a company? I'm lucky if I hold it a day and three weeks later, I get all the paper from the company saying, hey, you've joined us, please sign up to everything. And my chess statements, which mm-hmm. say you bought 10 shares and the day later you have sold 10 shares and on and on it goes. So there is a project that was going to be brought in online at a similar time as the chess replacement project because there's a few ramif- you know, difficult bits that have to be managed. So with electronic statements, they are actually available now, but the stockbrokers need to change their systems to make sure that they can interweave with that and they were busy with a chess replacement project. <laughs> so only a f- limited number, those who tend to be smaller, have actually pushed go and allowing their people to join um, and get electronic statements. The tricky part about the statements is the way the environment works. So when you're an investor... You have what's called an issuer. That's the company. So let's use Telstra because we've talked about it. It's easy. So you're a Telstra shareholder. You might give them information directly. The share registry that they employ are acting on Telstra's behalf. So you might give them your bank account details, your uh, email address that you want everything posted to, sent to, or if you're old school, posted your address, you'll have a stockbroker. They will have contact details. They will have email details. They will have bank details, but not necessarily in a position that they can hand it to anybody that needs it because the contract may say they can only use it for their purposes, so Hmm. for your um, CDIA account or whatever. So they'll have the information but not necessarily freely available and transferable. The ASX through CHESS may or may not have your information And historically, I think it was 70% of the market email addresses were available. And I know most people these days have their email address available for their company investments, but only 70% like universally available. If you signed up for a company and it's not in the contract that they can share the information for the purposes of share trading, then they can't give the information away. They mm. just have there's, to
0: there's privacy issues involved, isn't there?
1: There's privacy, there's it's probably privacy law considerations and data law considerations. So a lot of people complain to us, I don't care about privacy until they do. Mm. Um and then they complain about that. So mm-hmm. but that information wasn't transferable. With the chess replacement, we were the industry was working towards making that transferable to get the right contracts set up or the right law set up so that it wouldn't be a breach of privacy if you shared the appropriate email address to enable the trading, and that would be fantastic. And that was why electronic statements came out in 2021, December 2021, but. The big brokers particularly have to write code to make sure it integrates into their system and that is a little bit away. But yes, I'm sweating on it too. I I think it'd be very nice not to have the paper.
0: Okay, so the Star has been found not to be suitable to hold a licence in New South Wales or Queensland. What are the issues there?
1: The Star Entertainment Group and Crown Resorts, which was a Victorian-based gaming company, um, with outposts right throughout the country. Both of those parties have failed to avoid money laundering. They have failed to meet the code for the Australian money laundering um, legislative requirements. A- AMLC. Uh, yes. I've that's, been
0: studying this. <laughs> that, that's
1: the one. So th- they've missed out on that. And a bit like when the banks were having their troubles with the Financial Services Royal Commission, it mm-hmm. kind of was – should have been the first thing the board and the executives were mindful of like before we do anything we need to make sure we meet our anti-money laundering requirements and that was not the case and with the star in um, the New South Wales inquiry and you can read the public reports of all these inquiries they had linked up with a vip gaming organization and there were things like using credit cards for corporates that shouldn't have been used in gaming facilities and all sorts of failures to meet the highest level of probity which is required when you're dealing with huge amounts of money and the potential for basically criminals to launder Mm. their money and Mm. you know be part of that and they failed to do that they've been found not to be suitable to hold the licence, the report really sheets home the lack of the former CEO's presence in stopping, stamping out um, money laundering, and the board has actually substantially changed, but until they have someone who's considered to be adequate to run it, the authorities are going to be running the casino, and if the star has to show cause why it should keep its licence, And that means that it may be a totally different beast in the future. Instead of being an entertainment company, the shareholders will still own the properties. But for the moment, somebody else is operating the casino. And longer term, will they have to get an arm's length operator or will they have to run the whole property as an entertainment precinct without a casino? That is yet to be determined and there's similar issues in uh queensland and there were similar issues in the victorian um review
0: that's so much uncertainty isn't there
1: it is a lot of uncertainty but it really reminds me of um when we had the gfc (laughs) and they had a technocrat running the italian money policy monetary policy and it's like okay maybe it's better if somebody else runs the casino, because then we don't have to worry that they're not doing the right thing. It won't have huge growth, but it might tick it over and keep the employment going, keep the um, revenue running through the theatres and through a more sensible operation mm. because there are issues with, you know, gaming and vulnerable people, well, gamblers being not being discouraged from gaming in an inappropriate manner so with without safety so at this time we don't know what will happen but when crown was going through the problem and that was ultimately sold to a private firm it was apparent that the properties could run it's like you don't lose the ownership of the properties it's just whether you can fill it up and generate income out of operating the properties in some way so uh, yeah a lot of uncertainty notice of meeting won't be out until the end of October because it's a late November meeting it's being held in Queensland uh, because it's the star owns the Jupiter properties we have our monitor attending and we will really need to review who we vote for that we do expect a Full change of the board; they all have to pass what's called probity, so the regulators have to say you're okay. But the so new- that's
0: even before a vote can take place. Before, the yes, yeah. they
1: can't even. Normally, what happens with a board is they appoint a director before the next AGM. Sometimes a long time before. That's way they can see if they work together well, mm-hmm. and then at the first meet AGM after the appointment, shareholders get to say, "Yay" or "Nay," but. They can't even sit in the boardroom unless they've passed probity for the casino companies, for the gaming companies. And so we're still waiting on that. And then they have to figure out the strategy and work with the existing executives or to fill the roles and see what comes next. So shareholders are left with, I don't know what this company will be in five years or five months.
0: So so what's the association looking for? before deciding on what to vote for?
1: So we'll be looking for, for example, in the remuneration report, it will be that it's structured to support the culture. And that often means that you can't pay huge amounts for huge growth in companies that are touching um, money laundering concerns because strong growth can often mean things are getting a bit racy, a bit mm-hmm. bit criminal. So that structure is there that the people that are on the board are able to be sufficiently strong in setting the strategy and not being swayed by, say, VIP gaming operators holding out, hey, strong growth here if we do this, that and the other, that they're able to look for the growth but be mindful that they have to operate by the rules and they have to be very clean, like squeakiest of clean, so that the individuals who are putting themselves forward have that record of experience and um, of doing the right thing in other circumstances. That said, the New South Wales Review found that the four directors that were still on the starboard that had been there before were suitable people. But when those groups work together, the chair's really important and the CEO's really important and we would have hoped that they had called out or (laughs) been more disruptive when they didn't get the best answers on the money laundering questions and we weren't there so we can't see if they did have any flags and the review suggests that maybe they didn't and if we go back to the Crown review the two people remaining had specifically been misled in that situation by a couple of directors and the executives. We'll be looking for the right type of director, the upstanding director who was saying the right things and having oversighting executives who are saying the right thing to move the company to the best possible outcome. And we can't, you know, wish it hadn't happened. You've got to take on board what Mm. happened happened and make sure that it doesn't happen again. That's what the board needs to convince people to get them to vote for them.
0: Okay, so let's move on to AGL. AGL's been the focus of media attention because of Mike Cannon-Brooks and the way that he's been trying to put it into more of a climate-friendly kind of company. Tell us about the demerger fight earlier this year and how that went down.
1: Okay, so AGL Energy had been lagging on its transition to net zero and as we all know the whole country was lagging and it's been quite difficult because we've had people who are proponents strong proponents of moving to net zero as well as proponents of the opposite and the middle ground and the complexity seem to be ignored. So AGL at one point was AGL Energy was considering that if they were to break the business up so intergeneration and the consumer business that's selling to the people in their houses and their small businesses, that they would be better able to get to a position where they could have a plan to transition to net zero. And we've seen Origin Energies also ha- has strategies to move move on that, to have what I think um, Catherine Livingston at Commonwealth Bank called the glide path to actually transform from a very coal-rich generator of power to one that has far more renewables and can actually contribute to net zero. This is another one where it's very complex business so all the coal plants were really old as well which means they're not as efficient as they could be but also coming to the end of their life. AGL had said that the financiers weren't prepared to lay out the extra money to give those plants that were at at the end of their natural life another lease of life. So they, they did have a lot of difficult decisions to make they felt if they went this uh, demerger route with uh, you know having a renewables business and a coal-fired business that they would be able to get the finance they need for the renewables because if you own coal fire and renewables your finance is going to have to put that they give money to people with coal mines mm. even if it's only 20 30 percent or more of their business so not having that there will in- increase their access to the money they need to invest. The concern was that that also may be a way of allowing them to break up the company so they could sell the coal business to someone who keep, wanted to keep running the coal and just walk away from that and just take some supply and just benefit out of their connection to 4 million customers. There was a lot of disagreement that Demerger took over a year to come to the market, as in to go to shareholders so they could see the scheme. It was felt that it was not the best plan by the likes of Mike Cannon-Brooks and many others, some of the big super funds who have people who work in this area and have worked in this area of, and have the expertise reviewing all these types of decisions. They, I think Unisuper said that they weren't going to support it either, which Basically meant that because only half of the shareholders vote with Mike Cannon Brooks' companies, eleven point whatever percent, and UniSuper, they could actually stymie the entire vote. So the vote was called off, and AGL said, "Hey, we'll go back to the drawing board and redo the strategy." They gave two of their newest directors, who had that type of background, the job of devising a new strategy, which was launched a couple of weeks ago, and. In that time, Mike Cannon-Brooks has come back and is pleased with how the strategy looks but feels like the board is still old school and not capable of making the most out of the transition. Because the thing about the transition is as we move to more electrical, say, vehicles, demand for electricity is going to go up. It is actually a growth opportunity to move to the new world while it's also a cost challenge, a capital challenge, so that means like the money you need to run everything. And then, of course, we've got all the other issues we have in the market today with the Ukraine war and disruption to power supply and outages from coal-fired power stations as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a really complex situation. The new strategy looks good, but is it, it will have to evolve in its implementation because you can't. Change the entire world in a 200-page document. And the new directors, they did add a good new director to the board themselves, AGL, Miles George. But um, Mike Cannon-Brooks has come back and gone, well, I think you need more, I suppose, renewable savvy in the boardroom. We've heard people say that we can't run the company with 11%. Just as an aside, ASA guidelines say we will generally support a shareholder having a nominee director in proportion with their holding on the board. So that would be one out of the ten.
0: With the 11% that uh, Grok, because that's a company, is it Grok Ventures? Yeah.
1: Yeah. um, With all these things, it's tricky. Mm. I I would say companies associated with Mike Cannon Brooks because Grok Ventures is a family um, investment company. The ownership is in something called Galapaya. Mm-hmm. Um, let's just say Mike Cannon-Brooks Associated okay. company. MCB, MCB. MCB. So, yeah, 11%, we could be comfortable with a single nominee. That person, of course, can't go and give internal information. Like at, when you're a director, you've got obligations to the company you're the director of. Even if you're a nominee of another shareholder, you actually have obligations to all the shareholders. But it does give you greater sway, if, you're, if you have nominees who are there to do your bidding. If he had four nominee directors and you've got 10 in the boardroom, you've almost, in terms of the arguments and the discussions and the evaluations... Yeah, the weight that you hold in the a, room, yeah. Yeah, you, you've got more votes in the board than, than your shares warrant, yeah. even though all those directors still are supposed to be representing all shareholders. Mm. But the trick with, or rather the variation with MCB's nominations is he is putting them forward as independent um, directors and in that list there are people who should know how to operate independently. So we've got John Polias who's on the GUD board, got Christine Holman and there's a Mark Twiddell who doesn't have listed company experience, and Carrie Schott, who I think is uh, independent enough. (laughs) Um, Yeah, she has very long experience in the market, and I don't think she needs to make more friends. So I think that there is the capacity. They have been put forward as independents. I think there is a possibility that they can operate as independents, and what really will determine that is how the board itself will operate and where the shareholders will vote. So we're having feedback from retail shareholders that they don't think that MCB should have his way on the one hand and the other hand is like surely the the board needs as much help as they can get and these candidates look interesting. So for us, the notice of meeting just came out. In the next week or two, we'll determine how we will vote. The board evaluated the directors and they perhaps with a mind to that one nominee, will support Mark Tudel. Um, You know, the suggested shareholders vote for him. The other three directors, it will be up to the shareholders as to whether they support the vote for or against. And that's what we're going to work through. We're going to be talking with them. We're going to ask um, how they see it operating. If the board has not recommended they join and they do get elected, that group of people are going to have to function and we want them to function to a high degree because AGL Energy is at a crossroad. The turn should have been taken 5, 10 years ago and they are playing catch up. So it's important that the board functions as well as it can in a very complex situation. So we have to figure out, can they operate um, well? You could say, oh, well, let's just get rid of the other directors who are up for vote. But most of the directors have changed over. So Patricia McKenzie, who's the new chair and uh, leads the board within AGL now, she's the longest serving director with three years history. She is really important. The board needs her to continue. It's going to be a difficult decision and we are going to seek as much information for the shareholders as well as ourselves to make that determination How will we vote? I think it's going to be a hard couple of years on that board. I do hope we get the best possible outcome. And then there is how will Grok Ventures operate because they're very good at um, reaching out to the market and explaining where they're coming from and influencing outcomes. But they may have a different interest than the other shareholders. Mm. So far, though, they have responded quite positively in terms of, at one point they were suggesting they have two directors and we came out and said, well, you can have one or double your shareholding and then you can have two. <laughs> um, but they did change that and they seemed to have understood what independence is and sought people with external reputations but, yeah, that's the hard thing with all this because if it was easy, you'd just tick the right place and wouldn't have to let worry about go it. go off and
0: make money for you. When yeah, it, yeah, it yeah, it'd all
1: come to fruition. But mm. groups making decisions is a great area of study. <laughs> and um,
0: Well, wow, it's a really p- uh, interesting AGM this year, isn't it, really, for AGL? I,
1: I think it will be. I envisage that the board will let all the directors speak to mm-hmm. their election and, you know, in some AGMs, chairs don't, but... These days they often do, so that will be interesting.
0: So it'll be a bit of a beauty parade, will it?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Might be a bit of a gab fest, Mm -hmm. I I think, because you've got to convince people on the day. And, of course, with MCB putting them up as independent, he can't have a say because once he starts swaying people, that is...
0: Undue influence, isn't it? Well, it
1: it loses that sense of independence. But Mm -hmm. I would say that if the shareholders nominate the three candidates if if they get 85 to 90 percent vote well they could retain their positions even if mcb is really unhappy with them so to some degree if they get strong support from all the shareholders that will lift their ability to be independent but i don't know there's still a lot of water under that bridge as many of us will you know shareholders and people who are determining votes will be figuring that out in the next week or two
0: Fiona Bowser, thank you very much for joining me today.
1: Thanks for talking with me, Phil. Love it.